Welcome to The Script, a podcast for storytellers of the game Blood on the Clock Tower. Each episode of The Script will focus on a particular edition or custom script of Blood on the Clock Tower from the perspective of the storyteller role. I'm your host, Zach, aka Blackrook, and in this episode, I invited veteran storyteller James, aka Sir Capelli, to talk about Trouble Brewing, the base edition of Blood on the Clock Tower. If you're preparing to storytell Trouble Brewing for the first time, then you've found the right podcast. But we do recommend you start with the official rulebook and character almanac. If you haven't checked out these resources, follow the links in the podcast description. After you know the basic rules to the game and the character abilities for Trouble Brewing, have a listen to my interview with Capelli, where we'll go over all of the frequently asked questions about the rules and then give some advice on decisions you may need to make when running this edition. By the end of the episode, we hope you'll be well-equipped to answer most of the rules questions new players may ask you, and feel more confident making decisions that keep the game as fun as possible for your group. Now, let's welcome our guest and talk some trouble brewing. Hello, Capelli. Welcome. Hello, Zach. How are you? I'm good. All right. Are you ready and excited to talk about trouble brewing, the first and maybe even best script in Blood on the Clock Tower? Boy, am I ever... Excellent. Well, let's dive right into it. Um, So if people are listening to this, um, it's likely that they are about to try their hand at storytelling trouble brewing for the first time, which hopefully means that also their first time storytelling blood on the clock tower, because this is the, uh, the recommended first script um, to, to play or to storytell. So I want to start with a first question, um, which is just how much experience do you think you should have um, with blood on the clock tower before jumping in and storytelling trouble brewing? If you have the option of uh, having some gaming experience with uh, Blood on the Clock Tower before starting off with storytelling, uh, you know, not everybody gets that option. Sometimes you'll just excitedly pick up the copy and no one's played before and you just have to figure it out. But if you have the chance to play the game first, uh, I would say having at least 10, maybe 20 games under your belt before giving your first hand trouble brewing. Uh, and I would say that's games of trouble brewing, not even looking at the other scripts yet. Uh, if you have some of those, then great. Awesome. Use that. Uh, but not necessary, I don't think. But if you've played a fair amount, I feel like that's a good place to start your first uh, storytelling uh, encounter with the game. Yeah. And if uh, if you, like me, are uh, someone who has, uh, has just heard of the game and is putting together all the resources, but uh, no one else in your group knows how to do it and it's up to you, um, there are definitely some resources you should be checking out. Um, in fact, there's probably some stuff you should have read already before jumping into this podcast. Um, so just for reference, we will not be going and explaining each character rules. There is uh, the almanac for that. Uh, We also probably won't be going over the base rules to Blood on the Clock Tower. So you should definitely check out the the rule book um, for Blood on the Clock Tower and the Trouble Brewing um, character sheet and almanac. Um, But we will be covering kind of the additional information uh, and frequently asked questions um, that that often leads to some mistakes in their first game, Um, which kind of leads me to my next point. one thing that is uh, tempting as a new storyteller is to just assume, you know, oh, there's 15, uh, I think, yeah, there's 15 characters. Um, no, that, that number is wrong. There's 13 townsfolk, four outsiders. There's 21 characters in total um, in Trouble Brewing, uh, but not all of them are in the game at the same time. So you might think, oh, I only need to learn the ones that I'm going to use in this first game. Uh, Capelli, is that a good idea or not? 
No, because let's say you don't put a mayor in the game, for example, uh, because if a demon hits a mayor and it bounces and you're like, well, I don't I don't know who to kill. I don't know what's the right call to do there. I'm not even going to think about it. Uh, and someone mid game comes up to you and asks you, hey, if a mayor was in the game and then they were targeted, how do you decide who you pick up? You've got to if you just flounder and say, oh, well, uh, they're going to know, oh, that. All right, there's no mayor in the game, therefore that guy who's claiming it is probably evil. Uh, even if you didn't give it as one of the three roles to the demon that's out of the game, people do crazy plays, right? Um, or what happens if you poison the mayor and stuff like that. Uh, and that's much more relevant for the other scripts, but still, on Trouble Brewing, you need to know how to handle, oh, hey, storyteller, what would you show a, a poisoned or a drunk undertaker? Would you ever give them the right thing? You can, but will you? And if you say, oh, uh, well, no, and someone says, well, that Undertaker didn't see, you know, they, they didn't see what that person was claiming, so let's just assume the person who got executed was evil. Uh, so you need to understand how all these characters work and how they work uh, in conjunction with each other. And sometimes you may not, may not know the answer, and that's okay. The important thing is that you make a ruling and stick with it. Uh, people who are also experienced in the game, and if you're playing with a storyteller who's new to storytelling, and they make a calling you know to be uh, contradictory in the almanac, don't call them out in public. Don't put them on the spot like that. You can either go to them separately or wait till after the game to talk about it and say, oh, well, you know, they don't usually run it this way, and here's why, or here's what the rulebook says, and talk about it then. Uh, you are create you're playing a game created by your storyteller, and unless they're breaking a hard rule, such as, uh, they decided to let the soldier die to the demon because it's too powerful otherwise. Something like that would be like, you know, going against completely what this, the purpose of a character is. Let it go. Just play and have fun. That's what we're all here for, right? And that's what the storyteller is trying to do is make a fun environment for everybody. Yeah. So one of your jobs as storyteller, obviously, is to enforce the rules. But that also means you are, uh, especially if you're working with new players um, who don't know the rules, you as the storyteller should be uh, ask, or answering questions about the rules, which means, of course, that you should know all of the rules because you don't know. Uh, even if a character is not in the script, it may be, it may dominate the discussion once the game starts, um, and that is outside of your control. So it's best to be prepared for those situations, and we'll help with that. We have uh, a couple of frequently asked questions and common things that trip uh, trip people up. Um, but before we get into that, um, Capelli, I have one more question for you. Um, as someone who's who's story told trouble brewing, um, I don't even I'm not even going to ask you to estimate how many times, but <laughs> That's um, a quite, quite a few, probably more than me. Um, how do you have an overall goal when you're going into a game of trouble brewing? Like what is, what is um, your goal in like a good game of trouble brewing? My goal is to give my players as much autonomy as possible. Like, yes, ideally you kind of want to get to a final three. That's not all evil players. And you know, you don't want to get to a final three where it's clear to most people that one player is the demon, uh, whether true or false. Uh, you, I, you know, you want to get to a place of, you know, three people who it could be these two, it could be any of them, and they're not even sure who who to go for. Uh, but ultimately, my goal is to reward player choices, or I don't want to use the word punish, but like if the fortune teller keeps picking the same people to see if they're drunk, you know, I'm not necessarily going to help them out later by bouncing a fortune teller kill onto the brain you know, the person that helps them out the most you know like i, I think i'm suspicious of of bob over there uh but i'll keep checking fred and terry 
you know, I'm not going to go out of my way to do that because they, I mean, they're making those choices, you know, and if I try to help out evil team too much because I feel like the good player is making a suboptimal choice, I'm not going to swing it one way or the other. Uh, likewise, I'm not going to push the evil team into being outed necessarily. I'll, I'll try to give information that casts a shadow of a doubt, which in Trouble Brewing, you have less of that, you know, slim margin of a leeway. Um, but if my, you know, evil team's trying to make creative plays, such as, oh, I'm the washerwoman who saw the, the demon as their claimed role, I'm happy to die. Uh, and they get executed and the poisoner hits the undertaker. I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm more likely to say that they're going to see what they're supposed to have, you know, supposedly seen. So rewarding yeah. autonomy. And sometimes that does result in the evil team or good team dominating, but that's okay. You know, you just talk out afterwards and, you know, figure out what worked and what didn't work for each team. And as, as a storyteller and move on to your next one. Yeah. It's, I, I would almost put it as uh, rewarding creativity or encouraging it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, um, as I mentioned before, one of the major uh, uh, jobs uh, you have as storyteller is basically to uh, contribute to the knowledge of the rules. Um, there's another job, which we're also going to get into, which is making good choices. Um, so those will be the two main sections of, uh, of this episode. Uh, so the first um, is all about rules knowledge. Um, and that means, uh, A, yes, you need to know all of the rules for each individual character. Um, but in addition to that, um, there are some things that often come up uh, related to how different characters interact. Uh, and right now we've chosen a few of those. I'm going to ask uh, Capelli a few of the most frequently asked questions, uh, both um, from new storytellers who just don't know and they need to figure out the right thing to do, but also questions that may come up from your players in the first game if they don't quite understand the rules. So um, the first one um, is about the empath. So the empath is a townsfolk uh, whose ability reads, each night you learn how many of your two alive neighbors are evil. And one of the key words in that ability is the word alive. So at some point, Capelli, in a game with an empath or even without an empath and someone's claiming to be the empath, um, if this person's neighbor is killed by the demon, uh, the question may come up, um, how do you decide what number um, to tell the empath? Is it, In other words, do you, uh, is the number based on the uh, players who are sitting next to the empath or the fake empath at the beginning of the night or after the demon kill at the end of the night, given that the kills are revealed when everyone opens their eyes at, uh, at the start of the day. So this plays into the night order, which is crucial for further scripts, you know, Badman Rising and Sex and Violence especially, but it's important to know that there is a flow to what happens at night. So you look at the night order, which you'll have right next to your grimoire um, when, you know, when you have your layout in front of you. That tells you what happens in what order of the night. So you have, you know, protectors who go first, you know, the monk and, and stuff like that. Then you have your minions, the poisoner, and then you have your imp that goes and attacks. Then you get the information for all the team after. Big part of that is, is after someone's dead, they no longer, their ability no longer functions. So a fortune teller wouldn't get to pick two players. Uh, an undertaker wouldn't be woken up and shown anything. So likewise, if you kill a living neighbor of an empath, you're looking at who's now their neighbors that are alive. So if you have uh, an empath next to the soldier or the washerwoman, and the washerwoman dies, and the washer and the, the washerwoman sitting next to the baron, 
you now get a one because that empath is registering off the soldier and the baron. Uh, and that's something that tripped me up a lot when I was first starting out. Um, and sometimes I'll still make those little mistakes, but I've, I've made those mistakes often enough that I'll catch myself if I realize I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and if you do make that mistake, don't hesitate to go back to that player, um, you know, if it's within the same night or very, very early in the next day and just say, hey, I, I gave you the wrong number. Uh, I gave you a zero. It should have been a one or it should have been a two or whatever it is. Um, yeah, that's definitely happened to me within the, the past month. And never give your empath a three. That's just a clear sign that they're drunk or poisoned and kind of defeats the purpose of their being a drunk or kind of defeats the purpose of someone being targeted with poison. Mm. Falls under the category of, uh, of technically maybe allowed, but probably shouldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This game is full of those. That actually brings up uh, the next um, uh, player uh, or character that uh, is the subject of many questions about uh, with with this script. I might even consider uh, these two characters the star of this script or the stars, um, and that is the drunk um, and also the poisoner. Um, so these two characters, especially for people coming from games like Werewolf or, or Avalon, uh, this this mechanic is what makes blood on the clock tower particularly exciting, um, for first time players. So there's a lot of questions that arise from this though. Um, the drunk, uh, the drunk's ability reads, you do not know you are the drunk. You think you are a townsfolk character, but you are not. And the poisoner is a minion. Um, as the scary name implies each night, choose a player. They are poisoned tonight and tomorrow day. So what this does is it effectively makes you treat them as if they have an ability and perhaps give them wrong information or make that ability not go off. Um, More information on what this means is in the almanac, but there's still a lot of questions that come up. Uh, The first of which um, is that the the drunk... um, uh, the, the question arises quite often is if someone is drunk or if they are poisoned uh, and they are their ability uh, is about getting information, can the information you give them as the storyteller be true? It can, but it doesn't have to. You usually don't want it to match up. Why would you ever want it to match up, you say? Uh, well, sometimes the way I think about it is I try to leave hints that the drunk could be the drunk. You know, a drunk empath getting two different numbers on the same two neighbors, uh, a drunk undertaker seeing the drunk token twice, uh, you know, things like that. And then for that reason, I'll try to stray away from drunking the sol- the slayer or the soldier or the mayor. Or if I do, uh, I'll give a librarian who sees a drunk, things like that. Um, a poisoner, I'm almost always going to give the information that benefits the evil team the most. Like I said, I'm trying to reward my players' autonomy and choices. So if your evil team is just crushing, and no one's suspicious of them, they're down from 12 players to 5, all of the eagles are alive, and everyone suspects the two last good players, and the poisoner keeps poisoning the same person, um, usually I'm still going to give the info that helps the evil team, with the caveat of how well do I know my players. Will my players, well, like, will my evil team understand if I alter the information and give a hint to whoever's being targeted consistently that, hey, your info might not be adding up? Because then, you know, it's easy for someone to say, oh, well, maybe it's one of these last two good players and that person is their minion. You know, it doesn't know, and they're lying to because to, they realize they're losing or whatever. A lot of things can happen. Um, but I'm not going to, like, tell an empath who's between two evil players getting consistently poisoned with zeros a two all of a sudden. 
especially if they're poisoned. I'm going to try to give that zero, maybe, maybe a one in certain situations. Um, just because I also want to keep the game kind of interesting. I don't want it to just be a blowout and nothing happens. Um, so those are usually the things I'm looking for. So showing the drunk real info, I'll probably start off with it. So like, let's see, in Trouble Brewing, the under the drunk Undertaker might see the chef who volunteered to get executed. And people trust the Undertaker. And that's good. Because you want to trust your fellow good team. But suddenly their information starts not adding up. Next, we executed the spent slayer and we saw a washerwoman. Or, I'm um, sorry, not washerwoman. Like a like scarlet woman or, or you know, spy. Uh, and that's always that's always interesting was when you showed the spy and the recluse to the undertaker and things like that. Um, again, it kind of depends on the experience level of your players. If you're playing with a brand new group, you probably want to be as straight up and straightforward with information as possible. With the poisoner being the one caveat, you still want to be rewarding those poisons. Yeah, so it's it's almost like with a with a role that their job is to get information, the the purpose of the poisoner or the drunk is to negate the usefulness of that information. And if they start to think that they are drunk or poisoned, uh, then that information is still useful because you you could just reverse it, assuming that it was always false. So that's why it is okay to occasionally give true information to mess with uh, a poisoned or drunk player. Or if they think they're drunk or the drunk or poisoned, and they they really really think that oh yeah I'm just getting targeted all the time, and they're actually the drunk, <laughs> I might give them real info just because they're trying to think oh I'm not. Um, yeah, because a lot of times it's good just to change things up if if the meta of your group is oh well our storytellers have never done this and or we've we've never seen a, a mayor bluff before so we'll always trust the mayor. Change things up. Yeah, that's a, the best time to do something is when everyone believes you would never do it. Um, so yeah. one question um, as well that I think is actually still being debated on the unofficial discord right now. Um, what happens if the poisoner poisons the drunk? Whatever you want. I, I would probably alter like if I was planning to give the drunk information that might hint at them being the drunk, I may no longer do that. Gotcha. So there is, uh, I guess, the the debate over whether the the poisoner negates the ability of the drunk and therefore you you wouldn't wake them up at all because they don't have or don't think they have the ability is is not the case they just remain yeah it's essentially again, nothing you're, happens you're just telling that player hey something's funky it falls again into that that purview of you could but probably should not yeah another thing worth noting is the uh, a drunk or poisoned ability flat out cannot function properly so a drunk soldier cannot survive uh, a good team cannot win with a poisoned mayor. Uh, a, a poisoned slayer cannot successfully kill anybody, no matter what. Information can change. Game-changing or active abilities cannot. Yeah. So I guess what we're when we're talking about information roles, to be clear, we're talking about the washerwoman, the librarian, investigator, chef, empath, fortune teller, undertaker, uh, raven keeper. Uh, but all the other abilities that have some other, you know, non-information related effect, um, if they are poisoned or drunk, uh, you cannot decide to make their ability work in the way that you can decide to give an information role true information. Yeah. So the next, um, I would say the next star of this script um, it often I find it doesn't come up as early or dominate the conversation as as it's so exciting to talk about people being drunk or poisoned. But uh, the more advanced uh, you get, and definitely if this role is put into play, uh, your first game, um, this one generates a lot of rules questions, uh, or I should say two because they're they're similar but on opposite teams. And this is the spy and the recluse. So. 
the spy uh they get to see the grimoire every night that's one part of their thing but the other uh thing that causes a lot of questions is that it says you might register as good and as a townsfolk or outsider even if dead and then on the other side of the town you have uh, the recluse which is an outsider which says something similar you might register as evil and as a minion or demon if dead so these are kind of they have the the same ability but opposite basically they are on one team but they can uh they can trick people into thinking they're on the other so um and it really does mean just that but i, th- I think there's a lot of questions that say well what about in this case and the answer to all of them is pretty much yes but let's go through them um so let's talk about the washerwoman and the librarian um can you um and let's you know let's maybe uh defer the question of should you but can you show the spy as a townsfolk to the washerwoman or an outsider to the librarian absolutely and like likewise the same question with the investigator and the recluse looks like you can show the recluse as a particular uh, um, minion to the investigator. Yeah. Same thing with the undertaker. And one, one that gets a little more complicated is uh, how does this, how do both of these interact with the uh, number that you show the chef? Uh, the chef is you start knowing how many pairs of evil players there are. Classic question. So let's say you have no evils or, na- or neighbors, but one of them does neighbor the recluse. Uh, usually I would show a chef a one to kind of hint people like saying like, Hey, when this guy out says the recluse, you should look at their neighbors and same thing with the empath and empath can register or get a number off of the recluse. And then you can change that number to not have them register the next night. You could change it up. Why would you do this? Um, usually to hide the evil team. You can make that washerwoman think they're drunk. They go to the spy and say, Hey, I saw you as the blah, 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 blah. The spy could say, wow, yeah, you called me out exactly right, or no. Um, Because the spy sees the grimoire. They'll see the reminder tokens that'll be next to their own token that says correctly seen. Uh, But they'll know, uh, let's say they know there's a slayer in game, and the watchman says, hey, are you the slayer? And they'll say, you know, uh, they'll say yes to kind of counteract the real slayer. Uh, What can happen there is that real slayer can then maybe slay the real demon. It makes the spy look bad, but it makes the washerwoman look bad too. And that's when the game can really get into a bit more of social tells. What if that washerwoman is a newer player and they are legitimately confused and people pick up on that? You, this is another thing that really falls under technically can, but really shouldn't. You can wake the demon up in their first night and point at their minions and you can point at the recluse. Uh, I've done it a single time and never since because people didn't like it. (laughs) Uh, and that's that's a fair point. Like the outsider is supposed to be detrimental to the good team, but still wants good team to win. That was using the outsider to be detrimental to evil. So you can, should you? Like would I show the drunk player who got poisoned suddenly real information that implicates the evil team? No, because that's not using the abilities as intended. Yeah, and certainly not in your first game of trouble brewing. Uh, For sure. So um, yeah. So to reiterate, uh, we talked. I think we mentioned this. The, so the Undertaker and the Raven Keeper. Um, if they, if the Undertaker uh, digs up an executed spy um, or an executed recluse, uh, that also means you can show them. You know any. You know any good pl- any good role uh, for the spy or any evil role for the recluse. And same with if the Raven Keeper points at a player. This is also a really good reason for you as a storyteller to be walking around and listening in on the game state, not just staying behind the grimoire the whole time. Because if you know what the spy is bluffing as, you can show that to the Undertaker. 
Yeah, which is huge, critic, you know. Yeah. And that, that you know, we've played online a lot. I've I've almost exclusively story told online. I've story told maybe five or eight games in person before you know quarantine, and it's much easier to jump around through voice comms and whatever. But in, in when it's a physical state and where you're at, it's much more difficult. Uh, it's one thing I'm really looking forward to getting back into doing, but listening in and knowing what's going on because suddenly the bluff of a spy claiming what they are bluffing as becomes much more believable when the undertaker is now backing them up. Yeah. Um, now one case that I think gets a little more tricky for some people um, is uh, the empath or real or really any ability, uh, the fortune teller included um, that can check um, or they, they get information on each night. So uh Someone may ask, may ask you, you know, if you're the empath um, or if they're the empath, they may ask, you know, if the spy is used to show the empath a zero, even though they're sitting next to the empath one night, um, do they continue to register as good for the following night? Or can you, can the spy change what they're registering as, um, you know, between nights or between, even between two different characters, uh, quote unquote, checking them? You can change it up every single night. Uh, and that's, you know, part of the fun, because if you've got a wa- uh, an empath in game who they've gone from a one to a zero to a two back to a one, and that's like only one of your neighbors has ever died, makes you doubt the empath a little bit. Again, this is something I'm going to say, defer to how experienced your players are, and more particularly, how experienced that player is. So if your empath is brand new, and they're next to the recluse and the spy... I'd probably show them a one. They kill the recluse. I'd show them a one again. Keep it simple. Don't don't try to be confusing to your players. You want them to be having fun. And if your empath is just like, I can't make sense of this. This game sucks. You know that's you can't control that. But you know how they respond. But you know you can you can figure out. Hey, what's going on? What's why are you so confused? You can tailor it to that uh, to that point. Um, another thing to look at is the chef. Let's say you have a chef. Let's say you have uh, a poisoner, and the poisoner is sitting next to uh, the spy and the recluse. Well, what can you show the spy? Technically, you can show the spy or the you can show the chef a zero, a one, or a two. Um, I would stick with a zero or a two if they're newer, uh, and then a one if they're more experienced. And you know, my experienced players will get a chef one and they'll absolutely consider that as an option because uh, they've played enough games and seen it happen. Um, here's a slightly more drastic example. So let's say I'm the slayer uh, and I decide to use my ability on the recluse. Uh, for those who haven't read the ability yet, the, the uh, slayer reads once per game during the day, publicly choose a player. And if they're the demon, uh, they die. So the question is, you know, uh, let's say I slay, someone who's actually the recluse and uh, the storyteller says they're, uh, you know, this person is dead. Is that legal? Yeah. Cause the recluse for that instance is registering as the, as the demon. So it totally can work. Excellent. And I guess maybe we can talk about should later. Um, but one more question about the spy, um, which I think is one that leads to a lot of very fun scenarios. Um, how does the spy interact with the virgin? You can kill the spy as much as you want. Or as little. 
Yeah. So the Virgin, uh, obviously only on the first time, uh, the Virgin's nominated. Um, it, it says if that nominator is a townsfolk, they're executed immediately. So if that nominator is the spy, the spy can substitute for a town folk, which means you can execute the spy. Um, which also for all the players out there, as you may have figured out, if you've played this game a few times, if someone's executed, uh, via the Virgin ability, uh, they could still be the spy and that's what makes it exciting. Again, this is something that I would really use to morph the meta of your group. If everyone, if you know, if the past few games that have had Virgin in them, people are trusting both the Virgin and the person that die, and, you know, you can encourage the spy or, you know, remind people and that if the spy thinks of it, reward that. You also yes. can, you know, totally not do it. Because if you have, let's say another example, the spy nominates the Virgin, nothing happens, they execute the spy, Undertaker sees the spy as a townsfolk, Undertaker now thinks that the Virgin claim might be kind of bogus. Well, if the Virgin's claiming socially good, people say, oh, okay, maybe there's a poisoner in the game. If there's no poisoner, you can start crafting that and saying information looking at the demon, maybe that's poison stuff or lots of ways you can go with it. Yeah. So we've spent um, a bit of time now talking about what you can do. um, And in the words of... uh, uh, the great quote from Jurassic Park, we should start contemplating, you know, whether or not we should do these things. So that leads me to our second section of this episode, which is all about making good choices. Again, you have you have two jobs that are made hard by running a new script. One is you need to know the rules and the other is you need to make good choices. So that is the other thing that separates Blood on the Clock Tower from other social deduction games is you have some agency as the moderator to influence the game. Um, and there are in Trouble Brewing, I think there's a medium amount of, of times when you have um, a choice to make. And uh, let's we're going to go through and get Capelli's advice on um, you know what he's thinking about when he's making these choices as a storyteller. So the first choice in every game uh, is what characters to put in the game. Um, so what are you thinking about when you do this and how do you make sure the game is balanced uh, from the start? Uh, with Trouble Brewing, you almost can't go wrong with your setup. You can pick randomly most times. The biggest thing to look at really is what bluffs are you going to be giving your imp? You want your evil team to be able to have some influence on the narrative one way or the other. Now, that can come with your imp saying, I don't like any of these bluffs. I'm never talking to my minions. They can, you know, good luck to them. Uh, and you can have the entire evil team uh, counterclaiming double claiming, whatever you want to call it, somebody else in the game, uh, causing, you know, four, six, eight people looking suspicious and you only have so many executions in a day. But I want my evil team to be able to try to craft a believable story. So am I giving the evil team mayor, soldier, and, and undertaker without a spy in the game? You could do something with that undertaker, but the people are going to take the mayor and soldier claims are just going to kind of sit there and hope. And that can be fine, depending on what the good team is. So if you have that with the evil team, and your good team is all the info rules, fortune teller, empath, uh, washerwoman, and an investigator pointing right at two evils, you know, like your setups can be skewed. Uh, So again, the biggest thing is how experienced are my players? You're going to hear me keep saying this. If you've got a moderately new group, keep it simple. A little bit of information, maybe two good info players and one solid uh, evil bluff. So let's say you'll give the the evil team the fortune teller and you'll give the good team empath and uh, a washerwoman 
uh, that clears, say, the mayor. Uh, usually, be careful with the mayor because if the mayor gets too trusted, they can just be killed straight up by the demon. It's kind of what's encouraged in the almanac, and that's what I would say works good too. Um, as far as really good character combinations, I like to confirm characters that can do things. You know, I won't, I won't usually show the washerwoman a soldier. Um, now, if my soldier is pretty experienced and I know they're into doing wacky stuff, I may show the washerwoman soldier, and the soldier will just start claiming to be. You know, all these undertaker, fortune teller, all these powerful roles, and then no death happens, and they're like, oh, well, I'm the soldier, and maybe people would say, ah, I don't believe it. The washroom could say, I've never spoken to that man, but as the washwoman, I did see or I did see them as uh, as the soldier, and you can back them up. Um, but usually I would like to confirm things like the undertaker, say, hey, I know you're the undertaker, you don't need to tell anybody else, you can keep it between us, or say, hey, tell people you're the washerwoman, and I'll claim to be the undertaker, and they'll try to kill me at night, and you'll be okay. And then you'll, they'll kill me, and we'll be all sad that we lost their undertaker, but you're secretly still getting information. Um, uh, the slayer is good, you can confirm the slayers, just keep them hidden. Uh, your investigator can ping off the recluse, I would normally not do that for experienced groups, uh, because, eh, it's just hard for the, for newer players to wrap their head around, well, I saw them as investigators, so we should kill them anyway, even though we only have two executions left till the game ends. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples of, of, of things that I wouldn't put together. I wouldn't probably put a virgin in the game with characters that don't want to die. So if you put a virgin, a fortune teller, an empath... Um, an Undertaker, and, say, the Recluse as your good team. No one's going to want to nominate the Virgin. So I would be wary there. Put something in the game that wants to get confirmed. Chef is probably the most powerful character in the game, in my opinion, so Chef and Virgin play together really well. Hmm. Um, never for, for new players, never make your Saint the Red Herring for the Fortune Teller. Uh, that's just... For a brand new player as the Saint, that's not fun for them. Typically, I've found Butler is usually a safe character for brand new players. And you, Butler, Butler, while not probably the least interesting on the script, is the safest thing you can make somebody. So, hey, you're brand new to the game. All right, here, take this token. And when bad gets to you, just pass it along discreetly. And, you know, they just say, hey, just pick somebody who you trust and just vote with them. That's all you have to do and just watch how the game plays out. Yeah. So as far as setup goes... Uh, it, it's almost like on average, if you roll dice to decide, uh, you know, there's a balance of townsfolk that have, you know, early information, those, those quote unquote top four rolls. Uh, there's a balance that get really powerful information each night. And then there's a handful that, um, you know, just have a kind of generic, um, non-information related effect. And you want a balance of those. Um, so on average, if you do roll dice, you know, as long as, as long as you're not like intentionally trying to create a weird combination, it's kind of hard to screw up. Very hard to do. Now let's, uh, let's talk a bit more about when you, you know, when you do have that, that first setup, um, uh, and you have some of these, some of these roles, they get information the first night, um, the, the washwoman, librarian and investigator, um, the chef, you usually don't have a choice unless they're seated next to a, again, we talked about the spy or the recluse. Um, but so the washwoman, librarian, investigator, you have to make a choice because all three of those start with, you start knowing that one of two players is a particular blank. So not only do you need to decide 
two players, you need to decide the particular whatever townsfolk outsider or minion for washerwoman librarian investigator respectively so w- what are you thinking about when you decide which players um to to put in the ring there and also which um you know what character um you want to make the the real one or or who i want to make the drunk yeah. uh sometimes i'll go into a game saying i know this is what i want to do because i haven't seen it in a while and i'm bored or whatever usually though i'm going to wait to see where the tokens fall and what we have if I've got an empath who neighbors a recluse, uh, and then on their other side is like a row of three good players, I m- would probably show that to the washerwoman uh, to get that guy trusted and kind of move things along. Let's kill the recluse and then see what's the next neighbor and the next neighbor. Um, investigator as I'm looking at what does the evil team have and what does the good team have? So if I see a lot of info rolls, and a poisoner really can't go wrong, I might show the investigator a poisoner. You know, one or two poisons is enough to kind of throw the game into chaos, and if they can get that poisoner executed by that point, great. Uh, and then for the um, librarian, uh, there's oh, it's always fun to show them the, the drunk, because, you know, they themselves could be drunk. So they, instead of narrowing it down to two people as something, it's three people could be the drunk. Um, you're looking at uh, the possibility of, uh, you know, looking to who you want to make the drunk is you know, definitely very dependent on the game state. If I've got an empath between the min- the demon and his, his scarlet woman, I'm usually going to make that person the drunk if I had the foresight to deal it in. Um, but sometimes I might not. And just if the empath keeps getting twos, by the second night, they they should be saying, like, something screwy here. And then it's a question of do we trust them? Uh, I, I, in my my local group, uh, I play with a uh, a prosecutor, which is super fun because she will sometimes just be quiet and scan the room, and after five minutes, she'll just be like, "I believe that," or "That I don't trust that person," because she's no. She picks people for juries, so she's looking around and things, seeing things. So she was the person, the empath I chose not to make drunk. They believed her immediately, and uh, the evil team lost very, very, very quickly. Know your players if you have the option. Oh, uh, I'd hate to be nominated by her. Yeah. Oh man, I have just barely lost so many games to her. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I think you mentioned um, a bit about this earlier, but um, in terms of um, uh, the demon, uh, obviously they know three. Uh, roles that are not in the game and three good roles that are not in the game. These are referred to as their bluffs um, and they're both for the demon and for, uh, in theory, the minions if the demon can actually covertly pass them along. Uh, so what do you what do you think about, um, you know, after you have the setup and you're looking at all the roles that are left over, um, you know, how do you decide which ones are good ones to give the demon as bluffs? That's why I usually like to say I try to start there or at least like think about one or two that I want to give the demon. Uh, and kind of work towards there. Uh, sometimes I've set up games and realized, oh, all the bluffs I have to give the demon are passive things, uh, which doesn't feel good as the demon. And one thing that I also would consider is, like I said, what what narrative are you looking at? Can evil team craft something? Uh, Fortune Teller is probably going to start off being your most trusted claim. Uh, but as people start to morph through it, once they're kind of moderately ex- you know experienced, I think you're going to start finding... Your um, your empath become the more trusted, and then gradually you're going to probably find that your undertaker and your chef are going to be the two characters that really solve the game. 
Um, so work around that. You got newer players. They're going to trust the fortune teller. Give them that fortune teller bluff. You got kind of moderate. All right, give them the empath. And you can start looking through things like that. Uh, again, it's really about paying attention to how your players have been playing the game. Uh, if they're always trusting the mayor, give them that mayor bluff. Uh, if so, no one dies in the night, give them that monk bluff and say, oh, I protected that person and that person is their minion. You could totally be doing things like that. Um, so just think about if you're like, if I was a demon and I got these three bluffs in two minutes of, of brainstorming, what could I see them doing? And if you can cre- create a few ideas, then you probably got a good set of bluffs. Yeah. It also sounds like you, you try and give them options. Um, as in like, you know, if, if you, I mean, if you know, the player is the type of player that likes to go out there and, and just lie their ass off, you can, yeah, give them, give them all the crazy active roles you can, you know, something that they can just straight up use however they want. Um, but if you don't, if you know that demon is, you know, maybe a little more introverted, um, maybe you can lean passive roles. And if you don't know, you know, what their play style is, um, you know, give them the option, you know, you could go with maybe one role that's, that's very reserved and they can just sit back and not say anything and try and claim mayor at the very end of the game. Uh, and then maybe if they're feeling up to it, uh, and they've had their coffee right before the game, they could go for that crazy Raven keeper play. Um, or as I think I did the first time I actually played a game after just storytelling, um, immediately kill myself night one, use the Raven keeper bluff and then you know, call someone out as evil, or I think I actually used it to confirm a minion as, as another bluff. Um, mm-hmm. so options I think are a good, a good way to go there. Would you agree? Yeah. Big time. Um, one, one thing I just realized, um, the next, next, uh, choice I had was about the mayor. Um, and we actually didn't cover what's allowed here. And I actually, I'm not sure I know the answer to this cause this, uh, this has been debated and I think the ruling recently changed. Um, so the mayor has the part of their ability, um, which is if they die at night, another player might die instead. Can this, uh, quote unquote bounce as many people refer to it, um, go to a, either a dead player or a player that's protected, uh, from the demon, either, either it's the soldier or they're protected by the monk. Um, and therefore no one would die. Is that allowed? So the final ruling is yes, it's allowed, but heavily falls under the can, but probably shouldn't category. Okay. So the recommendation is that someone, either the mayor should die or someone else who can die should die instead. And that is your choice. So how do yeah. you, how do you make that choice as the storyteller? So you're, if you, if you decide you're going to bounce, you're already giving evil information of, Hey, this guy is the mayor. It's the only way the demon can hit somebody and somebody else dies in the game. So you're giving evil some information right then and there. So I'm probably not going to bounce off the mayor if they're being targeted on the very first op- you know, opportunity and killing the undertaker with it. Um, probably not going to kill the fortune teller. I might kill a washerman. I might kill something. I'm, you know, Depending on where the game state is, I probably wouldn't kill the uh, minions. Um, other thing is, yes, you can bounce it off the mayor back to the imp and force the imp to die and pass along to another minion. Again, really wouldn't do that. Like the only example I could think of where you would want to do that is if you've been listening into conversations and you know the uh, there's like a, a trust a group of three people with a fortune teller involved and an empath and a washerwoman and they know, all right, tomorrow we're going to go for this guy no matter what. And the evil team has no clue. They haven't leaked oh, that yeah. to anybody else. In that case, I might kill the demon. 
yeah. And at the end of the game, the demon's like, them what make the, the play they should have made. Well, it's like, yeah, let's keep it going. Um, if, if that group of players is experienced and the demon's kind of newer, the demon at the end might say, what the hell, man? Like, why would you do that? I'd be like, well, you didn't know, but you were about to probably lose right there and made that trust circle really question what, you know, the information they had. Why would he kill? Like, nobody, you guys didn't tell him anything. No, no, I didn't tell him anything. We haven't let anything loose. Usually wouldn't do it. So really, who am I looking at? Uh, if it's early in the game, I'm probably looking at what's the least detrimental thing for good to lose. A chef. Uh, you know, you're, how often are your is your demon going to kill themselves in the first chance they get? And if you start seeing people trusting that, maybe that's an idea for the demon to start doing that and garner trust. And so if it's about midway through the game, I might kill off something a bit more powerful, a really well-hidden undertaker that's gotten two really good checks. Um a fortune teller who's not doing much. They're just checking the same people. Uh, you know, let's kind of get the ambiguous stuff out of the way and kind of narrow down to what's going to kind of create a bit more of an interesting end game. So like I said, I'm usually trying to get to a final three where we're not really sure who the demon is. Sometimes I'll use a mayor bounce to confirm that. Uh, and then if I have the demon target the, the mayor two, maybe three times in a row, at that point it's like, all right, they want the mayor dead, you know. It, it sucks if you're the evil team. You know who the mayor is. You know they're trusted, and there's nothing you can do about it without a poisoner also hitting the mayor. Uh, and using two abilities to kill one player is kind of rough. One rule of thumb, uh, with especially choices made in the in the middle of the game, is that you know you should probably benefit the team that you think is losing. Is that is that fair to say? You know, I used to say more often, yes, let's try to keep it balanced. But as I become a much more experienced storyteller in both feel, making what I feel are better decisions and just running more games, um, I would try to have a better view on what I believe each team thinks is going on and reward that. Again, if evil is stomping because they're making fantastic choices, those perfect poisons, the right kills, they're interjecting themselves in the conversations at the right time, in those games, I might just let evil stomp because that's, they're doing really well. Uh, in games where evil teams do, is doing rough because it's just it's tough for evil, yeah, I'm probably going to be helping out the evil team a bit more. Usually, I start off games by saying evil team needs a bit more help to kind of get things kickstarted, and then we'll see what happens there. You know, I'm not going to show an investigator uh, the demon and the Scarlet Woman as the Scarlet Woman, right? Like evil doesn't need that kind of pressure right away. Yeah, that's a good distinction to make, actually. I've, I haven't quite thought of it that way, but it's like it feels or it doesn't feel good to lose or to win for that matter um, via luck. Um, so if, you know, if, if someone's about to win because of, you know, a lucky, you know, let's say, let's say in the extreme example, which I've actually seen twice recently, uh, the demon first night kills the Raven Keeper and then the Raven Keeper points at the demon and learns they're the demon. Um, that's, you know, that's you would lose pretty quickly there just because you were unlucky. So if you have uh, the storyteller as an opportunity to kind of push the game back toward uh, a close game, that's probably a good thing to do. Whereas if one team's winning because they were very clever about it, um, that, you know, that feels good to win when you're being clever and it doesn't feel as bad to lose to, to a team that um, did some clever, crazy play because then you get to hear about it at the end. Absolutely. So the last couple choices are probably the most interesting uh, throughout the game, and that is basically, you know, circling back to the stars of the script, in my opinion, the drunk and the poisoner. Um, usually, you know, one of these will either be in the script or uh, either that or like they'll always be 
you know, brought up as a potential for someone's interesting uh, or information to be to be false. Um, so when they are in the script um, and you're about to give someone information um, and they're drunk or poison and you can basically give them whatever information you want, um, what you know, what do you look at to to determine that um, specifically? I think that the empath, the fortune teller, the undertaker and the raven keeper are the most interesting here. That's a great question. That is really a case by case basis. Um, if they're like I said, if they're drunk, I'm just gonna give some random chaos, and if I'm if they're poisoned, I'm probably gonna give information that helps the the evil team out the most. Uh, so just confirming their bluff, um, or the trusted mayor was now seen as the Scarlet Woman. Um, I, I like to throw wrenches into things. A, a great time to use that stuff is when poisoned or drunk abilities is being used to confirm. Uh, trusted players and adding in a little bit of uh, you know chaos because then that trusted player says oh well clearly there's a poisoner in the game her for her and people start saying is there though i don't know or maybe start questioning the raven keeper who was pretty trusted lots of lots of ways you can do it uh you're gonna want to be as present in the game as possible and don't be afraid to make mistakes like yeah ideally we don't want to be making mistakes as storytellers but it's gonna happen for sure uh, and that's, well, I want to talk this about a bit more in our outro, but post game wrap up is a big, a big part of it. Um, talking out your explanations and, and bouncing ideas of what you did or could have done and what you think would have happened then. Yeah. With, um, now, so with the undertaker and the Raven keeper specifically, I think that one is, um, uh, maybe a slightly more stressful decision because you actually have to name, you know, what a player is, whether, whether it's the person, the undertaker dug up cause they were executed or the Raven keeper points at someone. Um, and, and, you know, assuming they're drunk or poisoned or, you know, or maybe they're looking at the spy. So you have some license to lie there. Um, I think you mentioned this earlier, but how do you, how do you know, you know, um, what you should say? Uh, is it just by listening to, you know, people's conversations throughout the day to figure out what, what the narrative is and try and help if you're trying to help the evil team with the lie, which assuming, you know, that's the point of the poison and the the drunk you're trying to, you know, they're, they're, are, they are supposed to hurt the good team. So in order to do that, uh, is, is it just as simple as that? You're trying to figure out what, um, you know, what the person was lying about or, or something like that. Yeah, you could, but the, the, like you said, the biggest part is being present and listening in on conversations. Uh, another thing you can do is, you know, let's say you know the Baron just got executed. You can, you know, tap him, wake him up, and have a whiteboard or something that says, like, what are you bluffing? Uh, that's something I would really encourage to newer storytellers. Uh, you know, get as much information on what you th- believe the, the group's pers- perspective and understanding the game state as possible. You know, you could even in the middle of the day, you know, after a whisper just ended, pull inside and just be like, hey, who do you trust or who are you most suspicious of? Do that. Like, be present. Uh, that's totally okay. A, a big thing I want to stress with this as well, you, the storyteller, are also a player in this game. So your fun is also valid. So make calls that you think are fun. Uh, try to make sure they're also fun for the players involved. Yeah, and definitely, yeah, I can't reiterate that enough. Make sure the players are having fun, lest you no longer have anyone to play the game with. Yep. So, um, all right. Thank you, Capelli. That is the end of uh, the making good choices section. Do you have any final thoughts on Trouble Brewing? Like I said, for if you're a new storyteller, especially if you have experienced players in the game, your post-game wrap-up or your curtain call, whatever you want to call it, uh, 
is the chance for you to say, here is the puzzle I presented you all with. What do you guys think? Do you have any questions about what, what I did? Well, why did you bounce the mayor kill to this person? Or why did you tell the Undertaker that when you know, you know that that minion was bluffing this thing? You can absolutely like do that and talk things out. Like that's how I got to the point of what I feel like I'm a, I'm a pretty good storyteller. I certainly would hope I do. They they give me you know responsibility now. Uh, but you got to ask questions to people. Like I did this. Did you guys think that worked? Do you think it didn't work? What did you did you enjoy? Did you have fun with it? Uh, if people are laughing, you're probably doing a pretty good job. Um, the other thing I really want to stress: is we didn't talk about this at all. Um, I've done a separate podcast on this topic entirely. Uh, timing and your use of the clock uh, in the game. How long are days? How long are votes? How long are nights? All of those are tools that the storyteller has at their prerogative. If you feel the evil team is losing and the good team has the pieces of the puzzle to put it together, rush them. Say, all right, guys, it's the last day. Nominations are open in two minutes, and then I don't want anyone talking unless you're alive. Put that pressure on them because then if you know that the good team's going to figure it out and they do at the last second, ooh, that's a bit more rewarding. An evil team feels like, oh, they just missed it. And that makes it even a bit more interesting. Uh, so when you can start focusing on that as your main tactic as a storyteller to kind of keep things interesting, I would do that. Yeah, I like that. Two pieces of advice that are just as good in your career as they are in Blood on the Clock Tower. Ask for feedback and watch that clock. <laughs> well put. All right. Thank you, Capelli, for joining us. And thank you for listening. Uh, we wish you luck in storytelling your next game or first game of Trouble Brewing. Uh, if you have any questions or just want to learn more about Blood on the Clock Tower, we recommend you check out the unofficial Discord server. Uh, the link to that will be in the podcast description. You can also watch Capelli and all sorts of Clock Tower veterans stream live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the Pandemonium Institute. Thanks once again for joining us. And until next time, the game continues. Good night. Wherever I go, he follows, he follows. This monstrous ghost, he follows, he follows. Hunting everyone, he follows, he follows. Scaring all the children.